he's away from them. And we'll discover how he went away from them for 22 years. He's in a great place of power in Egypt where there is food because God, in a miraculous way, led Egypt to have food. We'll unpack all of that later. I'll just say that much now. Joseph's there. His brothers come back to him and we'll unpack the details. It's a stunning story. In the end, they get reconciled and then Joseph says to them this. Can I get my first slide up, please, guys, and we'll start walking through that. It came out in the reading that Mike gave us. Joseph says this to them. God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant, which is really to save for you a small group of people through whom God's going to do great things in human history to to save this small group of people. God sent me ahead of you to save this group of people and to save your lives by a great deliverance. God sent me ahead of you for this reason. Here's my question to you before we jump into chapter 37. How did God do that. You know, it sort of sounds a bit romantic almost. God sent me. I was given this great heroic job to to go and do this job. God sent me here. How? How did God do it? That's the question that we'll unpack today. I'm going to read with you now through the whole chapter, chapter 37. A fair bit of time that we'll spend inside the story to to look at what happened. And then I'll just spend maybe five to ten minutes saying, okay, what does that mean for us? What does it mean for you? What does it show us about God and how God works with you? Okay? And with me and with us. Everyone cool with that? Cool. Let's go. Chapter 37. Let's read through. Thanks, Georgia. You can uh, flick me ahead. All right, now this is the proper start of the story of Joseph, right? Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah. That's these guys. So he's looking after some sheep with this guy, Gad, Asher, Dan, Naphtali, the sons of these two women. Um, So many details I can explain, but I don't want to take too long. So yeah, uh, they're not good friends. Let's just, let's say that. Uh, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. The thing about Joseph right at the outset that we're not kind of sure of is, we need to make up our minds, is he a dobber? Kids? Any kids here? Do you, any of you sometimes dob on your siblings when they do the wrong things? You do. Yeah, and what, how, what does that make them, how does that make them feel? Do they like you when you do that? They don't like it when you dob on them, do they? Um, we don't know whether Joseph here is a, a, a dobber, you know, who just loves to run to dad and tell him stuff that his brothers are doing. Uh, and, and as we'll see next, there's a lot of questions about Joseph. Is he a snooty, spoiled brat, you know, uh, or is he not? Is, he, is it kind of... Usually that's how he's understood... I'm not sure that he is actually that. 
to be honest. At least I'll say we can't be certain that he is. He brings a bad report about these brothers. Trust me, it's a bad report. All right? Uh, there's history about these four brothers before Genesis chapter 37. They're, they're, they're murderers. They're, they're violent people. Whatever they were up to, I can tell you now, it was bad. It was worthy of being reported. Okay? So, that's what Joseph does. Next slide. Thanks, Georgia. Israel, this is Jacob. Sometimes he's called, he's called Israel. He's the dad, the guy up the top. Here's what we read. He loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Kids, help me out again. Do you sometimes ask your parents which kid they love the most? And what do they usually tell you? We, no, we love you all the same. That's what you should tell your kids, by the way. If you're not, then <laughs> we love you all the same. A parent never loves one kid more than another, ever. They shouldn't. Except, this is what Jacob did, right? This guy here. Unashamedly, openly, I love this one more than I love any of the rest. Okay? Rampant favoritism. He made for him an ornate robe. You might know it as the Technicolor coat. We're not actually sure if it was coloured. It probably wasn't coloured at all, to be honest. It was probably unique because it had sleeves and many others didn't. And his brothers saw, all these others saw clearly that their father loved Joseph more than any of them, which means they did what you would do if you were any of the other 11 brothers here. They hated him uh, and they couldn't speak a kind word to him. This is what it says to us. All right, next slide. Thank you. Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. probably helping the relations between the siblings. Um, again, we're not sure. Is he saying this in a haughty, snooty tone? The rest of you, dad loves me more than you, I'm better than you, you're all going to bow down to me. Or is he just really, genuinely saying, this happened to me? Let's not forget, the dream was real, all right? It was God who gave the dream, all right? This is not just some dream, this is a prophecy, that God is giving, that is saying, this will happen. Because that is what the story ends up showing us. It's exactly what happened. <laughs> right? So we may not be able to judge Joseph's tone in which he delivers this news, but we may know for certain that this is truth. This is the way that God has spoken to Joseph and to us. He, he did give him that dream. It's true. It's accurate. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he said. And then he had another dream. And he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream and this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. Two dreams, you'll notice throughout the Joseph story, often the dreams come in twos. It's meant to signify to us that this is certain. This is going to happen. There's no doubt about it. Um, Definitely prophecy, it's going to happen. He told his father as well as his brothers, 
And his father goes, what's this dream? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? Spoiler alert, this does end up happening at the end of the story. In fact, that's precisely what happened in the bit that Mike read to us, right? For him, it's surprising. Will mum and dad actually bow down before you as well? Uh, His brothers were jealous of him. His father kept the matter in mind. Jacob suspects maybe there is truth to this thing, uh, but he just keeps it to himself. All right, the story moves on. You're doing well. His brothers moved to graze their father's flock near a place called Shechem, and brothers say, um, Jacob says, you know your brothers are out there. I'm going to send you to them. Very well, Joseph replied. So Jacob said to him, go and see if everything is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Just, by the way, this isn't just go over the hill and see if they're okay. This is 80 kilometers that he's got to travel. He'll be away for weeks probably shows us something about the ignorance and the unawareness on Jacob's part of what goes on in his family. He should know these brothers are rough. He should know these brothers hate Joseph. He should, he's, he's totally blind to the bitterness and the hatred that goes on in his family. He just goes, yeah, Joseph will be all right. Sends him off a long way, far away from home. He's got no idea what's going to happen out there in the, in the distance. But go and see if all is well and they come back to me. All right, next slide. Joseph arrived at Shechem. A man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They've moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. Why this delay? And what a strange part in the story. Joseph goes to the Shechem, can't find his brothers, finds a man, he says, look further. I'll tell you later. It's just a curious thing at this point why this happened. Story moves on. Joseph went after his brothers. He found them near Dothan, but they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they say. Come now, let's kill him, and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Hear this? Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. If we kill him, the prophecy of him being in a position of power will die with him. (laughs) As it turns out, you will see soon, they don't kill him. They throw him in the cistern and they sell him as a slave. But their thinking is, if we remove him, the prophecy will also be removed. Now, friends, please tell me that you see the irony here. (laughs) Instead of stopping Joseph from ruling over them, their actions are making it happen. Right? They have no idea... No idea that behind their actions, their evil actions, sits someone who's directing the whole show. Do you believe that behind every action you take in your life sits someone who's directing all of it? 
all of human history, all of your life, all of the sin and failure in your life? That, my friends, is a deep question. And that's the depth that we get to swim in in this story. Let's kill him and see what comes of his dreams. That'll stop it. No, it won't. That'll make it happen. That will bring it about, right? All right, hold on to that. Story moves on. Uh, when Reuben heard this, Reuben's the oldest. There's history there. He tried to rescue Joseph. Let's not take his life. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern. Cisterns were deep holes in which they stored water. It could be three metres to six metres deep. Could be a very, very deep hole. In the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him, Reuben said to rescue him from them and take him back to his father later. So Reuben's a bit scared of the others. He's the oldest. He's supposed to be in control, but he's really not. He's showed poor leadership, okay? So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him off his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing. The text says, oh, they took it off. They did not. They brutally assaulted him. They beat at him. They really bashed him hard. They took him, they chucked him into the cistern, and the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, see the kind of brothers they are, sit down, enjoy a lovely meal, while the agonizing screams from your brother comes up from the cistern. Right? Eat our food. Right? That's who they are. They looked up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites. It's not a caravan like caravan with two wheels. It's a bunch of camels. Uh, the Ishmaelites, they're coming from Gilead, and their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh. They were on their way to take them to Egypt. Thank you, Georgia. Next one. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites, not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. You know, Surely, human trafficking is much better than murder. Let's not kill him. Let's sell him. <laughs> that's, a, that's a much better outcome for everyone. Uh, and I think Judah goes, you know, gets get the money. He sees the business opportunity. We spoke about Judah last week. You see him again. You know, the kind of man that he is. But he just comes up with this brilliant plan. Let's not murder. Let's sell him. Let's, let's give him to these Ishmaelites. I firmly believe, by the way, the reason Joseph was delayed and didn't find his brothers at first was because, again, someone behind the scenes goes for timing. It's timing, right? That caravan of Ishmaelites come around at that particular time when these brothers are sitting thinking, what are we going to do with this brother? Is that an accident? I don't think so. I think, I think that was arranged and coordinated to be precise, right? The brothers listen to Judah. The merchants come by. They pull Joseph up, they sell him for 20 shekels of silver, much like someone else later in the Bible, to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Reuben returned to the cistern, saw Joseph's not there, he tore his clothes, he went back to his brothers, he said, the boy isn't there, where can I turn now? Reuben's nowhere, you know, he, he doesn't even know what's going on. Um, and then we finish the chapter here. They got Joseph robes, they slaughtered a goat, 
they dipped the robe in the blood, they took the ornate robe back to their father and said, we found this, examine to see whether it is your son's robe. Do you think you could live with yourself? Doing what they've just done and going back to that guy's dad. Look him in the eyes. Say your son's dead. I don't know if I could live with myself. I don't know what I would be like, but these blokes did it, right? They showed it Jacob. Jacob obviously is uh, absolutely cut up. It's my son's robe. Animal has devoured him. He tore his clothes. He put on sackcloth and mourned his son for many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him. It's okay, Dad. You'll be all right. We know what we did. <laughs> right? They came to comfort him. <laughs> no, he said, I'll continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. And so his father wept for him. That is the chapter. There's only one lesson I really want us to get from it. And each week I'm going to focus on one lesson because it takes time to work through the content. Okay, here's the question. How did God send Joseph to Egypt? How did the words of this prophecy come true? Here's how. He used a father's favoritism, unfairness, and unequal treatment of his children. Attempted murder, which resulted in the human trafficking of Joseph. A heartless and cruel lie told to a father. That's what happened in this chapter. And here stands Joseph at the end of the story when these brothers come back to him in Egypt and he looks to them and he says to them, Brothers, God sent me ahead of you to save you. What a thing. God used your sin to save you through me. God used your sin to bless you through me. What is Christianity about? What is the Christian faith about? I'm not sure if you know or what you think it is, but I put it to you this morning that that is the Christian faith. God used human sin to bless human sinners through Jesus. God used your sin, my sin, to bless us through Jesus. That's what we're meant to see here, right? This is, this is a picture of the gospel. Think with me, if you know the story, the Easter story, those Romans and Jews, and metaphorically us, 
nailing Jesus to the cross, thinking that they are exterminating the blessing of God that he has promised to them in Genesis. They go, let's nail him to the cross. Let's kill him. That will get the earth rid of him. Had no idea. Then instead of exterminating him, they are fulfilling everything that he has intended to happen. By the way, those intending to stamp God out today, world rulers, and maybe even you yourself, I don't know if you're trying to stamp God out in your life today. The lesson is, you cannot stop God from fulfilling his purposes. Nothing is outside of his hands. He's sovereign. He's in control. And absolutely everything about us and in our world and in our lives, he somehow, in his sovereign hand, uses and forms part of his plans and his purposes for history and for you. Now, I don't know how that makes you feel. How does that make you feel? I can tell you how I hope it, hope it does make us feel. It should give us enormous comfort and confidence. Comfort and confidence. To know that everything that happens in your life has a purpose. Everything that happens in your life, the bad stuff, your failures, think about Judah and his brothers, their failures, none of that fell outside of the hand and the purposes of God to bless his children. Isn't that comforting? Isn't that comforting to know that beyond everything that I don't have right, that is not right about me, is still in the hand of God. He still graciously and lovingly will somehow use to fulfill his good and gracious purposes to bless me. Others may think that they are having their way, you may even think that you are having your own way, but behind it all, God is having his way for the ultimate blessing of his children. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that behind your life and your actions and the actions of others sits a faithful and sovereign God who seeks to bless you and use all of that stuff? I grant you that's a hard thing. There are many people in our world, in fact, most people who say, I cannot do that. I, I cannot accept a God who allows a child of his to be sold in slavery. Right? What kind of a God does that? A God who would allow the mistreatment, such as we see in the life of Joseph, stuff that happened to me. Many Christians struggle with that as well. Christians have different beliefs on this truth. Many would say this was not God's doing, what happened to Joseph. It was, it was Satan's doing. It was the sin of other people's doing. I think somehow human freedom had a hand in this, but ultimately Joseph would have us believe otherwise. He would say, no, God sent me here. 
And this is how he did it. So, so I respect the struggle that you may have with this and the difficulty. Yet, if you will, can I finish with this by just saying two things that I hope will bring all of us drawn and nearer to the living God. Can I remind you and me, you and I are not Joseph in this story. We're not. We're Judah and his brothers. We may not be as bad as them. I'm not saying we're guilty of the same sins. But like them, God owes us nothing. He owes us nothing. Just like Joseph, in this position, owed those brothers nothing when they came to him in Egypt. God owes you nothing. He owes me nothing. We're sinners. You and I. And yet, even though he owes us nothing, he gives us everything. See, whatever our confusion about how God works in our world and in our lives, it should strike us deeply that Jesus, the greater Joseph, would step into human history as God himself. And God would use all the sin of all of humanity and he would absorb all that sin on Jesus on the cross to come to us as he stands here today and he says, I want to bless you. I shouldn't bless you, but I will. Because I love you, right? <laughs> God is near. God is with us. God seeks to bless us. And somehow in this deep mystery of his sovereignty, he seeks to bless you today. So here's my final words. Can I invite you, if, if I can be so bold, I, I don't know what the circumstances of your life may be, but I invite you that by the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit you can come to see that behind them there is a God who seeks to bless you. His ways are strange. We often don't understand it. But that doesn't take away from the fact that he loves you doesn't take away from the fact that if you would come, he stands ready to bless you. We're going to unpack more of that as we go along. But I trust that we would walk away in some miraculous way with a sense of comfort and confidence that God loves us, that he is sovereign, and that it is a good thing for us. Let's pray. Our God, we confess we do not understand your ways. We don't understand exactly why you choose to work in the ways that you work. Many of us probably won't even sure, be sure that, that we shouldn't deserve anything good from you. Yet I pray, Lord, that we would, in your loving ways, come to understand it, come to accept it, and may it change everything about the way we see your goodness to us in Jesus. Thank you that you did not ignore us. Thank you that you do not treat us in the way that our actions and our deeds deserve. 
Thank you that despite our sin, despite our failures, you never give up on us. Like you didn't even give up on those awful brothers of Joseph. And I pray that that would move us and draw us to have confidence that our future in you ought to be good. May we come, may we stand in awe of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.